Welcome to Speak It On. This program is designed for the edification and entertainment of the listeners and not designed to be representative of a church, nonprofit organization, or denomination. Opinions expressed are solely those of the host. So this cast is in response to a sermon I heard from a local pastor. And this pastor's been eminently smart, Ph.D., okay? And uh, been in their church forever, uh, which usually means over 25 years, which is almost unheard of in Baptist circles. But I think the point, the general point of the sermon was to give more to the church. Now, there are, just to let you know, uh, several issues going on with the Western evangelical church in general, specifically the Southern Baptists. I love to use them as an example. Why? Because they're really big. And because a lot of the things that occur with them are kind of precursors to things to come with other groups. There are smaller groups that are also evangelical, and their numbers tend to uh, fluctuate wildly. Just uh, to let you know, recently, and you can look this up on Barna, Pew, Gallup polls, however you want to look at that. But uh, there's a decline, and I've mentioned it before, so this is uh, this is not new. But the decline in Southern Baptist uh, is a little more gradual because it's huge. It's big, at least in the West. And I find it amazing that it seems to be the theme with many Southern Baptist churches is the same old, same old, same old. So we're going to do it the same way uh, a bunch of times. And if that doesn't work, then we're just going to double down on that. Now, then when you question their methodology about how they're doing stuff, then they say, well, what do you mean? We're supposed to be sharing the gospel. Well, yeah, I get that. But what are you doing? Well, we're just preaching. And the Bible says, you know, that hearing comes with the word and you know, and, and of course, you got to realize every preacher, every denomination uses scripture. I mean, backwards, forwards, upside down. Now, whether the scripture means what they say it means is another question because sometimes they're out of context. Um, I'm not saying that particular example was out of context. I'm saying that just happens to be that way. But here is kind of the thing. Uh, 
the first or one point in the sermon was that there needs to be more volunteering at the church house. There needs to be more people volunteering to do stuff at the church. And that has been a perennial problem. That just never goes away. Well, traditionally, if you look at the statistics, the women have been doing about three-fourths of the work in volunteering at churches. I think Lifeway, would, some of their studies, would probably tell you that the women are doing most of the volunteering. In fact, the women are doing most of the attending. And here's what i got to say. Hats off to the ladies. Uh, because they're doing stuff the guys aren't doing. Because the guys aren't, you know, you know, picking it up and running with it. But I also want to rethink this. I want to visit this idea of volunteering at the church. And I don't want this to sound like uh, I'm not suggesting that people volunteer at the church, because I do. And I have for committees and, and coffee and chairs and everything else. But here's what I want to say. We have our priorities screwed up <laughs> from this angle. We need to be focusing on the family. We need to be asking ourselves primarily, what projects, what things are we doing that are strengthening families? Because that's the institution God's focused on. That's why God uses the family as a metaphor for the church, brothers and sisters, because they're interdependent on each other. And yes, we need to be working and serving and helping our fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. Absolutely, every day. But we have to be focusing on the families. What are we doing? If we have so many projects that we can't get volunteers for, here's a weird idea. How about we scale back on the projects? And I don't mean the local missions. And I don't mean the food pantries. And I don't mean the clothes pantries. And I don't mean the services to unwed mothers and all this other stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about maybe you don't get to go to a foreign mission trip this year. Maybe you have to focus harder on the local missions. Maybe that is your thing because you can't, you know, run to Asia or wherever, you know, and fly to the other side of the world every chance you every chance you get. But you can drive across town and bring blankets and food and things like that. Maybe, you know, there are programs that need to be scaled back. Whoa, what a thought. Instead of guilt tripping the congregation for more volunteer work. Now look, if it's a situation where chairs aren't being, aren't being moved and coffee isn't being done and stuff, I mean, you know, those, that, that's like so much of the easy stuff sometimes. And, to be quite honest, most churches work on the 80-20 plan. And that means that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And that's not good either. But, 
the volunteerism situation, uh, here's what I'll say. Are they volunteering? Are you asking them to volunteer for things that will strengthen the family? Or are we running everybody everywhere? We need to be strengthening the families because it's strong families that make strong churches. I you can try to figure that out any, any way you want, but that's God instituted it pretty much that way. Also, another point was that there was this concept of inviting people to church. This has been a staple for evangelical churches forever. All right, so here's a scenario. You have someone who doesn't know Jesus, who is in a pretty much uh, world-controlled, semi-pagan environment that doesn't really care that much about God, okay? And uh, you're going to say, hey, how would you like to come to a place where you will feel completely awkward even if they're really nice to you. And you're going to sit there and you're going to listen to a pastor that's probably going to say a whole bunch of stuff that's going to make you really uncomfortable. And uh, then they're going to ask you to give some money, which you're probably not going to want to do or feel like doing. And then you're going to leave and I'm going to go to my house and you're going to go to your house. And that's going to blow up morning. Now that sounds really cynical, okay? It does. It sounds very cynical, but it's not meant to necessarily be that way. That's more of a world perspective. That's how they look at it. There was a guy named Ralph Neighbors who actually did some research and found out that inviting people to church really doesn't help a lot because they don't come. We have trouble getting people who are in the church to come. And we're going to get people who are totally, who think the church is full of hypocrites and the religion is foolish and all this other jazz and they're just going to waste my time. We're going to get them to come to a church. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't work because it happens. People do. And I'm not saying don't invite people to church. I'm just saying we have to take church to them. That's what we have to do. People need to feel and see God where they're at. That's what Ralph Neighbors discovered. And he wrote a book called Seven Last Words of the Church. We ain't never done it that way before. He discovered that. And I think the man's a genius. And he was a Southern Baptist, actually. Uh, you can look him up on the internet. Now, genius or not, I think he was touched by God in that respect because he discovered reality. And that's the reality is you can invite a whole ton of people to the church, especially nowadays when you have so many options and internet and all this other stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, you, we're going to have to figure something else out. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying if you're banking on that, uh, you're going to go bankrupt. I'm thinking, maybe not. Maybe your church has a special way of asking people and they just come. If that's the case, then by, by cracky, share it. <laughs> because 
because because evangelical numbers are declining. The other thing is, and this will be my last point, or there was more than these points, but these kind of stuck out in my mind, was giving to the church. You need to give to the church. Sometimes we, you know, church has got a lot of stuff going on and we need funds to be able to do stuff and to pay bills and keep lights on and, and, and stuff like that. I get it. I get the lights. I get, I get, you know, the air conditioning situation. I get, you know, the professional ministers. Don't always get how much they're getting paid in relation to what they do, in relation to what they know. But that's up to the local church. So if they want to pay a PhD $100,000 not to teach them the Bible and to uh, stroke their ego, then they can certainly do that. Uh, I'm not saying they all do that. Uh, you know, it's just, uh, that's a lot of blooming money. The people I know doing that uh, are doing life and death type stuff. I mean, a doctor will make that much money, but a doctor uh, can keep you alive physically, right? And people say, well, you know, your pastor will keep you alive spiritually. Okay, all right. But here's the story. And I've mentioned it before. Um, how many pastors volunteer if money is tight for a salary cut? Now, I'm not saying they can afford it. Yeah. And I'm not talking about small churches either. I'm not talking about churches of two, three hundred people. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying where you got these mega churches with budget issues, or you got churches with, you know, 50,000 people in them, how many of the senior staff willing to take a salary cut to pay the bills? I don't know. Um, that's a thought. I'm not saying it's a. I'm not saying that's a good idea. I'm just saying, hey, it's an idea. But the, but the giving to the church. Uh, sometimes you get the impression that that is the only thing God will give you credit for, and I don't believe that. I believe that when you help your fellow people, now ideally doing it in the name of Jesus is really because that way he gets the credit and we don't. But there's a there's a hundred million different ways of helping other people and doing outreach. You know, giving to missions, giving to pregnancy crisis centers, giving to uh, food banks. God sees that. And that may not be the local church. Now, if your local, you know, your local church does need and deserve support. But how much is between you and God? How much is between you and God? But God does own all of our money. And we need to realize that. All of it. We give 10% just so that we remember, ah, he's the guy that owns all the money. 
but uh, so if you happen to be in a situation where you're getting guilt trip because you're not giving enough or not giving for every little project that, that comes up and they got 20 different projects and all this jazz let me suggest this Number one, you do need to give to the local church if you know because if you're going to that church and they're you know and you've got a relationship going there, they deserve time, effort, money from you. Yes, but that's not the only way that God keeps count. It's just not. Let me shoot to you some things that God expects, because these are verses. In the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, which Deuteronomy means the second law, God was explaining to Israel in Deuteronomy 10, 12, and 13, chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. It says, Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? To fear the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, and it says it. It says to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve Him your God, or to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I'm commanding you today, for your good for your good not because I said so because I'm God and I'll smush you it's for your good we slam the Jewish people because they because their tradition is to follow the Old Testament as closely as possible and that's the command that God gave them good grief and for their good and guess what? I happen to believe that through Jesus, we covenant with God into that. And if we'll do those things as well, God will bless us too. What a weird idea. Also, in Micah 6, 8. In Micah 6, 8. God's talking to the prophet. He says... Or actually, this is a prophet talking, I believe. He says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to, to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? To do justice, to treat people fairly as best as you as you can to love kindness to want to reach out and help other people when you can and to walk humbly before your God don't get full of yourself give God his due for taking good care of you that's what it is and then I, I you know a lot of people say well that's just too much man God you know God just makes things too hard. You know, Jeremiah, I believe it's 32, 27 says, 
Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? So, with that in mind, let's, re let's remember let's just remember that it's for our good. Yeah, that is Jeremiah 32, 27. I want to encourage you to keep on keeping on. Thank you for listening to this edition of Speak It On. And as always, don't be afraid to speak the word in boldness and truth. And may God bless all of your efforts.